0: in heaven as we open your word once again we do ask that you would send your spirit we ask for understanding for truth we know that you sanctify us through your truth for your word is truth and we ask for that during this session as we explore what revelation has to say to us about the last days in jesus name amen Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is a news broadcast normally with Bible prophecy as the overlay, but we are digging in in our continuing series, Unlock Revelation, to understand Bible prophecy in great depth. Now, this session is about the eternal sign that God has given to us in the Word of God. But before we begin, last session, we saw the unmasking and the unveiling of the war that was taking place between Christ and Satan, Satan, between Christ and Antichrist. And the controversy is over the law of God, over the worship that Satan wanted to receive in heaven, which he figures if he can get people obeying him, casting out God's law, then he's got people recognizing him as the authority instead of God. So The book of Revelation refers to the saints as those who keep the commandments of God, keep the commandments of God, who keep the commandments of God, three times, and three references in 2 Thessalonians 2 to the Antichrist as the lawless one, the lawless one, and refers to him one more time, referring to the lawless one. So lawlessness or commandments is the question that we have before us today. Now, Satan doesn't need to take down all ten commandments of the Ten Commandments. His aim is at one commandment in particular, because it says in James 2 verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So all all he needs to do, the enemy, speaking of Satan, all he needs to do is get us to neglect one of God's commandments, and we are guilty as lawbreakers thereof. Well, the year was 1831. A young naturalist intending on a life as a clergyman joined a survey voyage to South America. On that journey, he observed animals on the Galapagos Island and came to some conclusions about the origins of human beings. Of course, this is Charles Darwin, and he came up with this idea that we evolved from lower life forms. Now, God is very interested in validating and proving and us remembering that he is the creator and that he created this earth in six days. You read about it in Genesis 1, he spoke things into existence. A powerful, powerful truth testified about in Psalm 33. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So when I think about our beautiful creation, I I have to do what the angel says in Revelation fourteen verse six. He says, Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea. This is what I do when I view a beautiful view view a beautiful starry sky or or, or see a, a mother duck with her ducklings trailing behind in the pond. I worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. When I see a beautiful sunset or hear the birds singing, or smell the flowers of spring. I worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. The, the, the angel in Revelation 14 points us to worshiping God as creator. Because if he made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, then he is truly worthy of worship. In Revelation 13, you've got the dragon and the beast claiming that they receive and, and are due worship. That's nonsense, of course. God made this world in six days. And I know that there are many skeptics and they say, oh, come on, the book of Genesis, this is just, you know, myths and legends from long ages past that were handed down and exaggerated over time. And actually, before the time of written language, oral communication of historical records was impeccably accurate. And it didn't take many, 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 many generations for the story of creation and the story of the flood to reach Moses, who wrote it down. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And so, in fact, if you take a look at how old all the patriarchs of ancient times were, Adam, Seth, all the way down to Noah, and then eventually down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons, Joseph, of course, became the right-hand man to Pharaoh in Egypt, which brought the Israelites down to Egypt, and then four generations later, you had Moses, 400 years, a generation being 100 years at that time. So how many passing along of the story of the creation would need to take place to get from Adam's son Seth, for example, to Abraham? Now interestingly, Adam's son Seth was alive at the time of Noah. So these guys lived on for so long that this is like, you know, a thousand years of history. But the son of the first man on earth can pass the creation story along to Noah. Then Noah lived so long that he was actually still alive at the time of Abraham. So Noah can pass the story along to Abraham. And then from Abraham, so, so far you've only got two steps. And then from Abraham, he just passes along Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then Jacob's children are the 12 tribes of Israel who are in captivity in Egypt for four generations. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's three, then the four generations of the Israelites in captivity in Egypt. There's four more. What are we at? Like nine or ten steps total. This is not many hundreds or scores of repetitions of the story. No, the story of creation is historical fact. It's written down by Moses, who received the story under inspiration, by the way, not to mention inspiration. You can take it to the bank. Genesis 2 2 verses 1 through 3, God is very interested in preserving the record of creation because it's the evidence that he is God. It's the evidence that he alone should be worshipped and obeyed. It's the counter to Satan's claims of authority, Satan's claims of worship, that he's going to be in the position of God. That's a fraudulent claim, and creation proves Satan wrong. So when you read in Genesis 2... There's a reason that God made a day holy. It says in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So right there in creation... He blesses, sanctifies, and rests on the seventh day of the week. As a part of His creation, He made animals, and He made water, and He made plants, and He made people, and He made a holy day. This is part of the creation week. He didn't create anything, but He sanctified that day and set it apart as holy. The seventh day of the week, which is on our calendar called Saturday. Now, we it's amazing, if you think about this, The whole world, all cultures around the world, recognize a seven-day week. And the significance of this is enormous, because where did all of the cultures, even ancient cultures, get the idea of a seven-day week from? You can understand that everybody in all the various cultures and continents in the world recognizes a year, because a year is based upon the sun, and everybody can observe the sun. It doesn't matter where they got that, you know, their cultural angle from, they get it from the sky. How about the month? Also, the concept of many, many cultures recognizing a month, well, that's based upon the moon. The week, though, is not based upon anything. A seven-day cycle is something that only comes from the creation story. And, of course, God's people spread throughout the whole world as described in the Bible. And so we have a seven-day week because of the validity of creation. And the seventh day of that week proclaimed holy, so that still to this day, you've got cultures all around the world recognizing the seven-day week. Now, many people will say, but the seventh-day Sabbath, isn't that a Jewish thing? Well, when God gives the commandments to the Israelites in Exodus 20, He doesn't say this is a commandment for you because you're Jewish. No, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And it says, Don't do any work, neither you nor your manservant or maidservant or anybody. For, because in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea. By the way, that sounds familiar. Isn't that what John said in Revelation 14? Worship him and him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. It's a direct quote that John brings from the angel in Revelation 14, a direct quote from the Sabbath commandment in the Ten Commandments. In fact, that's the longest quote of the Old Testament in the entire book of Revelation. So when he says, worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, he is pointing people back to creation and to the Sabbath commandment which is not just for Jews, God is the creator of all. So when he writes this down in the Ten Commandments, it's meant for everybody who was created. It says, remember the Sabbath day? For God created this world in six days, and he blessed and sanctified it. Of course, Adam and Eve were not Jewish. There was not a Hebrew person on the face of the earth for 2,000 years after Adam and Eve. So Abraham being the father of the Hebrew people, and then Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. That was way later than the instituting of the Sabbath in Eden. So Jesus was very clear on this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man in Mark 2 verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man. So if you are part of that, if you are in the human race, if you are a child of Adam and Eve, if you are part of mankind, the Sabbath was made for for you, Mark two twenty seven, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. He did not say the Sabbath was made for the Jews. No, people refer to the seventh day of the week, the seventh day of the week as the, quote, Jewish Sabbath. But this is a fallacy. This is a misnomer. It is not the Jewish Sabbath. It is the biblical Sabbath given to Adam and Eve and all of us. The Sabbath was made for man. What a wonderful gift. What a beautiful thing that is. And when God wrote it in stone on the Ten Commandments, This was not the first time the Sabbath had existed, because it existed in Eden. It existed in Exodus 16, when the Israelites were receiving manna from heaven. They were told not to gather on the Sabbath, but to gather extra on Friday. That whole story uh, precedes the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The manna story is Exodus 16. Abraham himself was known as a man who was a commandment keeper. He kept the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But God wrote all of the ten in stone to set them apart as extra special, extra emphasis, writing it with his own finger in stone, permanency, emphasis. Whereas the other laws for Israel, the ceremonial laws, which actually were for the Jews. You've got this, the, the, the calendar of feast days and feast of tabernacles and feast of the Passover and sacrificial system. And all of the ceremonial laws did have a time period that they were to exist. They were written by Moses handwritten in a scroll and placed beside the Ark of the Covenant. So we covered that on the previous session that when, when Paul in Colossians 2 says that these laws were a shadow pointing forward to the reality, well, that's what those were. They were nailed to the cross. I mean, you don't nail the stone tablets to the cross. Of course not. That would be a horrific thought of just annihilating and doing away with the Ten Commandments. No, the Sabbath commandment in the Ten remains And Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man. In fact, it even says in Hebrews 4 that there remains a Sabbath-keeping for the people of God. New Testament, there remains a Sabbath-keeping for the people of God where we rest as God rested from his works. How did God rest? In Genesis 2, he rested literally by observing the rest day of the seventh day of the week. So we know for certainty that the Sabbath remains even in the New Testament. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barner research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents loved to delve into matters of faith as a family unit. They opened the Bible together during certain set times, but also they used the scriptures as spiritual lessons during those teachable moments in the child's day. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever... Parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and Friend Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. And we're back. We're continuing this study of what the angel says in Revelation 14. He says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. The angel here is quoting the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, which is probably the most neglected, most ignored, Commandment of them all. It's the one that Satan has made his special emphasis and focus upon. If he can tear down this one, he tears down God as the Creator. And not just God as the Creator. An amazing statement in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, says that God gave us this sign, the Sabbath, as a sign that He is the one who sanctifies us. So if you think about the sixth day of the week, the sixth day of the week is when God finished His work of creating this world, Friday. And that's God as creator. But God did another magnificent work on a Friday. It's referred to in the Christian world as Good Friday. He completed our redemption on the cross on a Friday and rested in the tomb on the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. And so, as Ezekiel says that he is the one who sanctifies us, this is a vivid reminder of Jesus finishing his two great works, his creation and his redemption of the human race, both on a Friday, resting from each on the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, if you're a little confused about what day in the Bible the seventh day is and how that corresponds to our week, let's take a look at Luke chapter 23, which lays this all out at the very end of the chapter, and then into chapter 24. It says that Joseph Arimathea went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher in the grave. So this is Jesus perishing on the cross and his body taken down, placed in the grave. In verse 54, it says, And that day was the preparation, the preparation day, and the Sabbath drew on, drew near. So this was the day that Jesus died which we refer to as Good Friday, was called the Preparation Day to the Jews because they were keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day. It says that this was Friday and the Sabbath was coming near. So Sabbath was going to be the next day. But it also says on the Preparation Day on Friday, the day that Jesus died, it says in verse 55 that the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So they were commandment keepers. They obeyed the law of God, not as a means to be saved, but this is what you do when you love the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So these women kept the commandment the day after the Good Friday, the day that Jesus died. So the day after Friday, of course, is Saturday. That was the Sabbath and is the Sabbath That they rested. Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. This is what we call in the Christian world Easter Sunday. The first day of the week was the day after the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was the day in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So this is not a complicated thing, but just it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around it because we're used to talking about Sunday as the Sabbath, and so much of the Christian world is missing this commandment. We have to kind of walk through even the very simple, what are the days of the week? If if we're still a little unclear, it's very helpful to look at the various languages and cultures of the world. When you look at, for example, Spanish, the Spanish language has Saturday as the, the word Sábado. Sabbath. So Sabbath is a day of the week. It's the seventh day of the week. And many, many, many languages, in fact, over a hundred languages in the world, many of them ancient languages refer to the seventh day of the week as Sabbath or rest day. In Russian, Saturday is Subota. So ancient languages that predated Moses have the seventh day of the week as rest day or Sabbath. That is astounding to see. So we know that this Sabbath thing goes way, way, way back to the creation. Now, is this a New Testament thing? Well, we already saw that Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. So Jesus is affirming the Sabbath. Now he also said that the man is not made for the Sabbath. He was he was a Sabbath reformer. He was confronting the Pharisees with their legalism, with their absolute just this burdens that they were putting on people that you can't do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus wanted to heal people, and they would condemn him for, for pronouncing a healing upon somebody on the Sabbath. And he said, no, this is what we ought to do. We should make a man well, and he made him well. So he said, I'm here to change your view of the Sabbath, but he never changed the day. He never said, it's not Saturday anymore, it's a new day. He never did anything to alter or abolish the Sabbath. He just brought back its true meaning when he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to be a gift for you and not a burden. So John 15, verse 10, Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commandments. So do you suppose Jesus kept all ten? Of course, he was the perfect spotless lamb of God who could say, I have kept my father's commandments. Even though the Pharisees accused him of Sabbath breaking, it was not true. He had kept his father's commandments. In Luke 4, verse 16, he attends, Sabbath, attends synagogue on Sabbath as his custom was, and he stood up to read the scroll of Isaiah. So Jesus' custom was to keep the Sabbath. He says, I have kept my father's commandments. And if anybody was going to do away with the Sabbath or change it, he would have been that person, but he never broke it and never changed it. It's wonderful to see that in the New Testament, that this is something that's not just a gift for the Jews, not just a gift for a period of time, but that the Sabbath is in a reality that continues on in the New Testament, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' experience, in his teachings, and in that of the apostles. If you take a look at the book of Acts This is Luke's other book that he wrote. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. In Acts 17, verse 2, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, as his custom was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So Paul continued going to church on the Sabbath. This was the synagogue. But even when there was no synagogue around, in verse 13 of chapter 16, it says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, Where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So this is a holy day. It was pronounced holy in the Garden of Eden for this world, for this creation, for this human race. And so whether there's a synagogue or not, whether there's Jews to be ministered to or not, we're going to honor it as special. And so they go in Acts 16, verse 13, in a city where there is apparently no synagogue, they go beside the river and have a special time of worship service and prayer. But it's not just that. In chapter 13, Paul once again is seen in the synagogues. Chapter 13 of the book of Acts, and in verse 42, we read, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought them, "...besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath." So the Gentiles are saying, "...can you preach these words again next Sabbath? We want to hear more from you, Paul." Now this would have been the perfect time for Paul to say, "...well, the Jewish Sabbath is a thing of the past." And we now have the Christian Sabbath. Why don't you just come back tomorrow on Sunday and we'll start the new tradition there and you don't have to wait a week. Well, there was no new tradition. There was no anything except Sabbath keeping at this time in history. We'll learn in the next broadcast of how Sunday keeping came in and why people got so confused about this. But it says in verse 44 that the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the words of God. So this is clear enough. The Sabbath continued in the book of Acts, which is a wonderful blessing and a, and a gift from our creator when he made the Sabbath for man for all of us. Because I need that. I mean, sometimes I get so busy. I get so focused on work and my tasks and whatever it is that's on my agenda. And God says, not only do I give you the gift, but I'm going to require it. I'm going to command it that you just stop your work, rest, enjoy a day of putting your mind on heavenly things, of worshiping him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. Think of nature. Go to church. Sing, study, fellowship, serve others. Do good things on this Sabbath day that will be a break from your normal routine. Now, Jesus in Matthew 24 understood that the Sabbath would still be the Sabbath after his death. In Matthew 24, he's looking forward 40 years And he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. He's talking about the time when Jerusalem would be sacked by the Romans and the Romans would be viciously attacking the city and the Jews in in Jerusalem would be undergoing this horrific experience. Well, Jesus is saying that the Christians ought to flee. As soon as you see the Romans coming, you want to flee the city. But in verse 19, he says, "And, And woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. In other words, pregnant and nursing women. This is going to be a really tough time fleeing the city woe unto them and verse 20 he says but pray ye that your flight that your your fleeing of the city be not in the winter neither on the sabbath day So what Jesus is referring to as the Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, as always, start to finish in the Bible. And he says, 40 years from now, in 70 AD, well into the Christian era, after the gospel's going to the Gentiles, and I'm long gone up in heaven, he says, 40 years from now still, it's going to be the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. Then in Isaiah, we see it goes even further than the Christian era. Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 23 It gives us the wonderful promise and hope of what's to come in the new earth. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, another is one month to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come worship before me, saith the Lord. So in the new earth, not only will we still have a week and a month, but we will have what is called the Sabbath in the new earth forever. What a wonderful promise, gift, commandment, whatever you want to call it. But it testifies to the fact that God is the creator and the redeemer. And we're not going to let Satan disrupt that. We're not going to let him tear down the authority of God. When he says, I proclaim a day holy, it's holy, no questions asked. John in Revelation says that the saints are those who keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. So we don't keep the commandments in an effort to be saved. We only have faith in Jesus for our salvation. But then Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And of course, Grandma who loved the Lord and never learned this truth. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So don't worry about those people who are following the Lord according to the light that they had. But follow the light he's revealing to us now. Repent and be saved. And we'll meet all those who went before us up in heaven as well. We'll see you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So when Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the picture. It kills Jesus Christ, took the penalty upon himself, so that the rest of the verse goes like this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord let that sink in a second when the lamb of god who taketh away the sin of the world was nailed to that cross the penalty of death was given to him the gift of life was given to you we were the ones that deserved that death he didn't deserve any of that he was the spotless son of god these are the themes that our little minds will comprehend and dwell upon for the ceaseless ages of eternity brought to you by beltoftruthministries.org